Hey, this is Josh Herrera, and I'm the pastor of Lighthouse Church, North County, and this is our podcast. Wherever you are and however you are listening, I want to say thank you for tuning in to what we are teaching at Lighthouse. Our desire is that these messages would help you to fulfill your God-given potential. If this message impacts you, share it with someone you know. We are on this journey together, becoming more like Jesus, one day and one step at a time. Now here's today's message. We hope it blesses you. All right, Lighthouse. Well, let's get into our message for today. We are in the third week of our family meeting series. I hope you have enjoyed hearing it as much as I have enjoyed preaching it. Whenever we talk about family at Lighthouse Church, it's it's amazing to see how we all just kind of lean into what God is saying. It is our number one requested topic every time we ask, what would you guys like us to talk about? So I'm excited. Let's get into our third installment. We're going to go to Genesis chapter 35, and we're going to read three verses, 9 through 12. And um, I want to share with you on a very delicate subject today, and um, you'll see why in just a moment. But um, I'm going to dive into our scriptures and then start to unpack some weightier topics today. Here we go. After Jacob returned from Padan Aram, God appeared to him again and blessed him. God said to him, your name is Jacob, but you will no longer be called Jacob. Your name will be Israel. So God named him Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you and kings will be among your descendants. The land I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I also give to you. And I will give this land to your descendants after you. So for the next few moments, I want to talk to you today on this third installment of family meeting on this subject, the other side of trauma, the other side of trauma. Words are powerful. The scriptures inform us that life and death is in the power of the tongue. You know, recently I was having a conversation with my friend, Pastor Gary, and he said something to me. He said, you're going to be surprised at what your kids will bring up at 30 years old about their past. It's like our minds continue to process things that have happened to us in the past. And as we get older, we now have um, more language and experiences that help us to interpret things that happened to us when we were kids. And and I resonated with that when Pastor Gary told me that because I remember being in my late 20s and, and finally having words to articulate something that happened to me as a sixth grader. You see, back when I was in sixth grade, I wanted to join the GATE program at our school. The GATE program, GATE was an, act, an acronym for the Gifted and Talented Education. And so when the teacher was handing out the applications for the GATE program, I, I looked at her, let her know, hey, I want to join the GATE program. And she kind of gave me that look and she did this little wincing thing like, hmm. And that was her way of saying to me, you're not smart enough to be a part of the GATE program. And she didn't give me an application. Well, that stayed with me in junior high and that stayed with me through the first two years of high school. And my grades reflected what a kid who is not smart enough should look like. But then when I got to the 11th grade, my English teacher pulled me aside and he asked me what was wrong with me. And I didn't really understand what he was alluding to. And he began to tell me that he thought I was smart. 
He began to tell me that he thought that I was underperforming and he believed that I had far more potential than what I was demonstrating up until that point. And so once I had that conversation with him, my grade point average shot up. I enrolled into honors classes for my final year of high school. And my point being is that what one person spoke over my life when I was in sixth grade was completely undone by what another person spoke over my life when I was in 11th grade. And I'm leading with that story and I'm going to start to unpack our text today And I want to really look at the words that God spoke over Jacob. Now, before we can get there, before we can get to the words that God spoke over Jacob, we got to go back and deal with Jacob's family. We're going to deal with his family and we're going to deal with the generational trauma that was present in his family. So, So let's go all the way back to Abraham. Yes, Father Abraham. We're going to start looking at him. And I don't know if you knew this, but there is a first family in the Bible. Did you know that? There's a first family in the Bible. And the first family in the Bible is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And of course, their wives. I say that plural. Yeah, anyway, uh, their wives and their children. And that's what I would call the first family of the Bible. And here's what we're going to learn about the first family of the Bible. They were jacked up. Now, I know that seems sacrilegious because we have immortalized Abraham through Sunday school songs. Father Abraham had many sons. Y'all know that song if you grew up in church, but um, we've immortalized Father Abraham. But what we're going to read today is that Father Abraham, he had a lot of shortcomings. So in the interest of time, I'm going to paraphrase a lot of his story, but I'm also going to show you key scriptures that are going to begin to unpack how the shortcomings in Abraham's life became a generational trauma in the life of his son Isaac and his grandson Jacob. So here we go. In Genesis chapter 12, there is a story of Abram and his wife Sarah. It also calls her Sarai. And they went down to Egypt to escape a famine that was going on in their homeland. And their homeland was Canaan at the time. So when they get to Egypt, the mighty father Abraham tells this to his wife, Sarah. So I'm in Genesis 12 verses 10 through 13. And I want you to check out what happens. Now there was a famine in the land and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarah, I know that you are a beautiful woman. He starts off. Okay. I mean, that's paying her a compliment. He's doing all right so far. He goes on to say, When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Now check out Abraham. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. So instead, let's say you are my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. Abraham was quite the romantic. And this is exactly what they did. And and they came in pretending to be siblings rather than married. And what ends up happening? Well, Pharaoh saw Sarai and said, I'm going to bring your sister home with me. This is a wild story. And I I want you to understand that, that when Abraham lied, and, and, and Sarai, she was in cahoots with him when they lied. They were going up against really the plan that God had in Abraham's life. And God was faithful to Abraham in spite 
of Abraham lying to Pharaoh. So, so here's what the Lord did because God had a plan for Abraham. The Lord afflicted Pharaoh with plagues and he revealed supernaturally to, to Pharaoh that Abraham lied and that Sarai was actually Abraham's wife. So Pharaoh called out Abraham on it, returned to him Sarai and said, you guys got to go on your way. That is a weird Bible story. I know, but I've got some news for you. It gets more weird. Let's go to Genesis chapter 20. We're going to jump eight chapters forward. And now we have another story of Abraham and Sarah. So they decided to sojourn, which is they were going to take up a temporary residence in Gerar. And when they got to Gerar, I want you to see what the mighty father Abraham does there. So now we're in Genesis chapter 20 verses one through three. Now Abraham moved on from there into the region of Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. For a while he stayed in Gerar. And there Abraham said of his wife, Sarah, here it is again, she is my sister. <laughs> Abraham's doing it again. He's lying about his wife. Then Abimelech, the king of Gerar, sent for Sarah and took her. But God came to Abimelech in a dream one night and said to him, you are as good as dead because of the woman you have taken. She is a married woman. Abraham, you did a Britney Spears and you did it again. Why, why would you do this, Abraham? Why would you repeat the same deception that you pulled on the Pharaoh to now King Abimelech? Abimelech. Abraham was bound by the sin of deception. And before we get too judgmental on Abraham, I want to let you know that we all deal with some level of deception in our lives as well. For example, let me grab low-hanging fruit and talk about Instagram filters. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go there because I want to ease into my example. So we know that filters can enhance our situation, but taken too far, we are deceiving our audience. Okay, let me go a little deeper. We fall into deception when we try to convince everyone that we are okay when we may be hurting inside. And if I go back to Father Abraham for a moment, he was very fearful of death. That's actually the reason why he lied to begin with. He was afraid that they were going to kill him. I'm going to pull that out in just one moment. But here's the last one, okay? We often deceive others through our family situation. And I'm not even talking about pretending that everything is okay with everyone you talk to. I'm talking about refusing to get help. If you've got a family issue going on, it's one thing to keep it private, but it's another thing to keep it hidden. To keep it private means we're working this through, maybe with a counselor, with the pastor, uh, maybe with a therapist. But, but to keep it hidden means we have real issues, but we refuse to talk to people. So what you are doing is you are being deceptive about your issues, which really is what got Abraham in trouble, his deception. Now, now why would he do that? Why, why would he commit this sin of deception and not just once, but do it twice? Well, here's my first point that I want to make for y'all, okay? Behaviors that produce trauma are triggered by fears. Behaviors that produce trauma are triggered by fears. So Abraham's deception, which was the behavior, was triggered by the fear of death. The first time he lied about Sarah, it was due to an irrational fear. It was an irrational fear. Now you might be wondering, well, Pastor Josh, how do you know that the fear of death was an irrational fear 
over Abram. I mean, he was trying to protect himself. Well, well, here's the reason why it was an irrational fear. God had already spoken to Abram and had already told him that he was going to be the father of many nations. It was irrational because God already had a plan and a purpose for his life. And so instead of trusting the plan of God, he tried to take matters into his own hands. Why? Because of fear. So our response to fear will typically be a, a, a behavior that might produce trauma in our lives or in the lives of other people. So what are some of the other fears that could produce behaviors that, that will lead to trauma? Maybe you have a fear of isolation. Maybe you have a fear of loneliness, a fear of loss, a fear of rejection. Listen, when a fear that we have is triggered, then what follows is potentially a trauma producing behavior. Just recently, I was reading a book earlier this week and it said the only that, that every emotion that our children that, that, that they learn, um, they, they learn through development and that there's only one emotion that babies are able to naturally produce right out of the womb. What is that emotion? Fear. So, so there's a psychologist who believes that the only emotion that babies enter into the world with is the emotion of fear. And so when our fear, whatever it is, is triggered, it will likely produce a trauma producing behavior. So, so that's what was happening in Abraham's life. Now let's go to Isaac. Okay. So let's go to his son. When we get to the son, Isaac, Isaac was the promised son to Abraham and Isaac was also jacked up. Now, in fairness, his dad tried to kill him. So that's probably why he was jacked up. But that's not really the point of today. So uh, I want to show you something crazy in the life of Isaac. Let's go to Genesis chapter 26, verses 6 through 9. And it reads as follows. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. And when the men of that place asked him about his wife, Rebekah, he said, she is my sister. <laughs> because he was afraid to say she is my wife. Oh, time out. We heard this already. We heard this through his father. His father said the same thing about his wife, Sarah. And now here's Isaac in Gerar. And he is saying she is my sister because he was afraid to say she is my wife. Why? Here it is. He thought the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebecca because she is beautiful. Hey, time out. Props to Abraham and Isaac for marrying beautiful women. All right, moving on. When Isaac had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked down from a window and saw Isaac caressing his wife, Rebekah. So Abimelech, that's in the Bible, okay. So Abimelech summoned Isaac and said, she's really your wife. Why did you say she is my sister? And Isaac answered him, because I thought I might lose my life on account of her. So this is crazy on two levels. Okay, number one, Isaac wasn't even born when Abraham lied about his wife, Sarah. And he's doing the exact same thing his father did. And I teach at the church that more is caught than what is taught, but he wasn't even alive to catch this. Second, I don't know if you caught this, it's the same king. 
King Abimelech, it's, this king was old. He, he, was, he took care of his health because he was this is the same king that, that was deceived by Abraham. And now he's watching Abraham's son commit the exact same deception. So what produced that same behavior? The same trigger, fear. Okay, Isaac said, I thought I might lose my life on account of her. Isaac was afraid to say, Rebecca is my wife. So how could one fear be passed down to the next generation and produce the literal same behaviors? Well, here's my next note for you, okay? Trauma can be passed down by communication. You can pass trauma down. You might think, oh, I didn't do anything, I didn't do anything. No, no, no. Trauma can be passed down by communication. Let me explain how this happens. Mom and dad go through a traumatic experience and then from that point forward, they do everything they can to protect their kids from that experience. So they create all kinds of potential scenarios and say to their kids and, 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 and they create these scenarios and tell them to their kids and now their kids, watch this now, are living in the same trauma as if it happened to them. They're living in the exact same trauma. I'm gonna give you an example from a friend of mine. So a friend of mine, um, he shared with me this experience he had as a kid. And um, he shared with me that when he and his friends were young, they were playing a game of basketball at a park. And then a group of older kids, and they were all from a different, but these kids were all from the same people group, um, opposite of his, or different than his, I should say. They came to try to kick them off of the basketball courts. And my friend and, and his friends decided they were gonna stand their ground. But in the process, that other group gave them a butt whooping. And so they beat them up on the basketball court and, and sent them on their way. Well, well later, um, I learned this from my friend because when we were together, he said something about a group of people that were from that same people group where he had experienced this, this traumatic experience from. And when I asked him, like, why would you say that about that entire people group? He shared this story with me. Now, imagine if he's handing down this language to his kids over and over again. What's happening is trauma is being communicated to the next generation. Trauma is being communicated to the next generation. So can, can I just insert some now plausible commentary into the story of Abraham and Isaac? In order for Isaac to share the same fear as his father, the fear of death, I would suggest that the fear was passed down to him through communication. So parents, we have to be aware of the words that we are using with our children because you don't want your trauma becoming their trauma. You don't want your trauma to become their trauma. Now we got to get to Jacob, okay? We started with Jacob. We got to get to Jacob. I'm, I'm showing you this generational trauma at work. So let's talk about Jacob. So Jacob was a twin, okay? Isaac had these twin boys, Jacob and Esau. Jacob was the twin who was watching his older brother Esau in line to get everything because Esau was born first by seconds, okay? And so in this society at the time with Esau and Jacob, the blessing and the birthright fell to the older brother. And Jacob was upset because his older brother, who was only seconds ahead of him, was about to receive everything and Jacob was going to receive a far lesser share of everything. So here's what Jacob decided to do. Jacob decided that he would deceive his brother Esau 
for his birthright. There it is again, deception. Isaac, his father, deceived King Abimelech. Abraham, his grandfather, deceived King Abimelech and Pharaoh. And now Jacob is deceiving his brother. So what he did was he prepared a meal for his brother and he waited for his brother to be very hungry. And um, at that point in time, Jacob said, well, tell you what, I know you're really hungry. I just prepared some food. I will give you this bowl of soup if you give me your birthright. Jacob was slick and Esau was very hungry because Esau traded in his birthright for a bowl of soup. So you see Jacob being a little deceptive. Now it gets even messier, okay? Because Jacob, aided by his mama, and, and again, that's, ooh, that's a whole other issue right there. Jacob, aided by his mama, Rebecca, they tricked his father, Isaac, now to give him the blessing that belonged to Esau. Church, I don't even know where to start because the mama is instigating the mess. Jacob, who already had the birthright, decided, I'm going to get the blessing too. And he went along with his mom's plans. And Isaac, well, at this time in his life, Isaac is old and he's blind. Now, this is just commentary, but there's a lesson to be learned here about waiting too long to hand the baton over to the next generation. But that's not the point. Here is the point. Jacob now and the third generation is committing the same sin of deception that his daddy did and his granddaddy did. Now what we're seeing is generational trauma because it's going from one to the next to the next, one to the next to the next. Write this note down. Generational trauma is produced when someone fails to break the cycles of the previous generation. Generational trauma is produced when someone fails to break the cycles of the previous generation. So what's the fix? Because I didn't come to exegete all this scripture for you all and tell you just how jacked up this family is without giving you hope. So um, let's, let's talk about the fix here. So there's more to Jacob's story that I think gives us an application. In Genesis 32, I'm going to paraphrase a passage of scripture to you that many of you know, especially if you grew up in church attending Sunday school. In Genesis 32, there's a passage of scripture where Jacob wrestles with the Lord. As Jacob was alone one night, a man shows up out of nowhere and begins to wrestle with Jacob for hours. When the man saw that he wasn't going to pin Jacob down, he touched Jacob's hip and it came out of the socket. And the man told Jacob, let me go. And Jacob does something in this moment. He says, I won't let you go until you bless me. And so the man asked him and the man asked him his name and, and, and Jacob told him his name. And after that, the man said to Jacob, you're no longer going to be Jacob, but you are going to be Israel. All right. This is a loaded passage of scripture that I paraphrased for you, but I want you to see this. Okay. Jacob has the blessing of his father. Jacob has the birthright of his father, but listen now, he's still seeking some kind of validation from someone because this man shows up out of nowhere and Jacob's like, bless me, bless me, bless me. Hold on a second. Jacob, you have the blessing of your father. Hold on a second, Jacob. You have the birthright of your father. Why is it that you need a blessing from a man that you don't even know? Here's the reason why. Write this down. Any behavior in response to trauma does not bring you lasting fulfillment. 
say that one more time. Any behavior in response to trauma, I'm talking about a behavior in response to trauma, it will not bring you lasting fulfillment. Let me give you some examples so I can walk this out. Say you grew up in a home and you had a deficit of love in your life, okay? It's just mom and dad weren't very affectionate with you. No amount of promiscuous activity is gonna bring you lasting fulfillment because that's a behavior in response to trauma. All right, here's another one. If you've become an overachiever because of a lack of acceptance at home, no achievement in your life will bring you lasting fulfillment. Here's another one. If you turn to drugs and illegal substances to numb the pain of abuse that happened to you at home, no amount of drugs or illegal substances is going to heal you. Why? Because these are behaviors in response to trauma. Are you walking this out with me? So here's what happened. Jacob gained the blessing and the birthright through deception, but deception was the response to trauma. So because he gained the blessing and the birthright through trauma as a means of dealing with the trauma, he was not fulfilled. And because he was not fulfilled, he's seeking out the blessing of complete strangers. So what does God do in this moment? He says, what's your name? He tells him his name. And, and keep in mind, God already knew his name. There, there was some inner healing that was happening here. And that's when God says, okay, you're no longer going to be Jacob. Okay, we're, 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 gonna, we're going to start dealing with this generational trauma here. And he says, from now on, you are going to be Israel. What, what God was doing when he asked him who he was, he was saying, I want to deal with who you are, not what you do. I want to deal with who you are, what's your name. I want to know who you are and not what you do. And so many times we try to placate ourselves by trying to correct what we do rather than dealing with who we are. So we're trying to treat trauma through behaviors and not through identity. Did you catch that? We're trying to treat trauma by fixing behaviors rather than going back and dealing with the real issue. And the real issue is identity. Okay, that's chapter 32 of Genesis. I got another passage of scripture that I want to read to you because many people know Genesis 32. Few people know Genesis 35. I started this sermon reading Genesis 35, but I'm going to read it again now that we have all of this context. So after Jacob returned from Padan Aram, God appeared to him again and blessed him. And God said to him, your name is Jacob, but you will no longer be called Jacob. Your name will be Israel. So he named him Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you and kings will be among your descendants. The land I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I also give to you and I will give this land to your descendants after you. So it's like the same but different. God is dealing with his name again, but, but Genesis 32 is what we all know about because it has a wrestling match and who doesn't love a good wrestling match. But three chapters later, God has to show up again and reaffirm that word right there. He has to reaffirm Jacob's new identity. And then he goes on to tell him the promise that I made to your grandfather and your father. Jacob, that's for you as well. So I want you to catch what God does here. Just as we see a cycle of trauma, the Lord shows up to Jacob again 
because there's a cycle of blessing that God wanted to give to Jacob as well. So, so for the trauma in his life, which had been cyclical, God was showing up again because he was saying the same way that you went through cyclical trauma, I'm going to come and bring cyclical blessing to your life. And he comes to Jacob and that's why he reaffirms his identity. And he tells him beyond just changing his name, he goes on to tell him there's a generation that's going to come from you. There's land that I have promised you. And there is people that are coming from you that will always be my people, God's chosen people, Israel. And I'm, I'm going to close with this application. Okay. Write this down. This is your last notes. Okay. Overcoming family trauma begins with a new identity. Overcoming family trauma begins with a new identity. The problem is so many of you are walking around believing that you are who others have said you are. Some of you are walking around and um, because you might have been verbally abused by your parents or parental figures in your life, remember first and foremost that you are who God says you are. It was God who created you. He's the one who knit you together in the womb of your mother. He knew exactly what he was doing with you and what he plans to do through you. So what you have to do is find identity in him. I know many of you look to your family for identity, and that could be great if things were well. But today we're talking about generational trauma and overcoming generational trauma. So if there was trauma in your home, you don't want to find identity in that trauma. What you have to do is find identity in him. And when you find identity in him, he's going to reframe your family situation. That's important because you, you, you need to learn from the life that you've lived. You've lived that experience. Finding identity in Christ doesn't mean that didn't happen to you. Finding your identity in Christ doesn't mean you get to pretend like your family was better than it really was. So what happens is you find identity in him and then you begin to reframe the narrative of your life. This is where you can actually start to find beauty in the ashes of your life. Well, how does this happen? Well, just like we said that your identity is not what others say about you. I want you to get this. Your identity is also not what has happened to you. So your identity is not just what others say about you. That's not who you are, but it's also not what has happened to you. Because for some of you, you're living through an experience. Something happened to you. So you need to know you are not your trauma. You are not your mistake. And you are definitely not an accident. You are a child of God who is deeply loved. And if you don't know who you are, he'll start showing you by showing you whose you are. You belong to him. You are his daughter. You are his son. You are his child. And the beautiful thing is then what God will begin to do is he'll begin to reaffirm you as many times as it takes to overcome every negative word spoken over your life. This is why I am so, so for the church. I I believe the church to be the hope of the world. I, I believe that, that you need to be reaffirmed as many times as it takes. As a matter of fact, that's why we continue to open up the altars at Lighthouse Church on Sunday. I know growing up in the church that I was a part of, uh, you know, not only did we have altar calls, but they were really optional. Like you went to the altar 
And, uh, you know, I, I think that while it might have been a little overdone, I think there is something too, though, coming back to Christ and having him reaffirm you, reaffirm you, reaffirm you. Because I'll tell you what, the devil isn't, the devil ain't taking a break from trying to tear down who you are. And, and so I think being reaffirmed by God as many times as it takes is a good thing. And I think that he will affirm you as many times as it takes for you to overcome every negative experience you've had to endure. And he will reaffirm you as many times as it takes for you to crawl out of your cave and to walk in the newness of life that he has for you. So, so Jacob after Genesis 35, this is the moment he changes. And I want you, and, and how do I know that he changes? Well, well the Bible is beautiful and, and, and rich with detail if you lean into it. In Genesis 32, his name was changed from Jacob to Israel. But if you read chapters 33 and 34, in the Bible, they still call him Jacob. But in 35, when he has um, this moment of reaffirmation from the Lord, from that point forward, the Bible no longer calls him Jacob. From that point forward, he is always Israel with the exception of whenever God would reveal himself to someone and say, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And in case you're wondering, well, wait a second, I thought from that point forward he was healed. Why, why, does, why does the Lord still call him Jacob? I think God does that for our benefit so that we can see that even with our brokenness and even with our mess and even with our shortcomings and even with the proclivity to do things that aren't even, um, that didn't even begin with us, but they began through our fathers and grandfathers that God is saying, you're still mine. I still have a plan and I still plan on using you. So Lighthouse, much of my prayer is my hope for you. My hope is that um, you will do the work necessary to number one, identify any trauma that might exist in your life. And then number two, do the work necessary to heal and to overcome that trauma. Well, how do I do that, Pastor Josh? The first thing you can do is speak to a pastor at Lighthouse Church, and we can get you going on a path of healing and overcoming trauma. Second, and this is why we are so, so, so for connect groups, is you should speak to your connect group leader. Let them know this is what I'm going through. If you're like not in a group, not on a team, this is why I mean that I love the church and I believe it's the hope of the world because it is in the church that your identity is reaffirmed. So, so don't just come to church on Sundays and, and, and hang out on the fringes of the church, but dive into the community that God has for you. Dive into your faith community. Belong in the church. Find your identity first in Christ, but also find an identity in the church because you're going to need that affirmation over and over again because we're human, we're frail, we, we have our ups, we have our downs, but God never leaves us. He never abandons us. He's always with us. He's committed to doing the deep work of healing in your life if you will just commit to Him. So my friend, if you've never given your life to Jesus today, you could do that. I'm going to actually close with a prayer and I'm going to invite you to ask him into your heart and make him the Lord of your life. And I believe that if you make him the Lord of your life, he's going to come in. He's going to come into your heart. The Holy Spirit's going to come and start guiding you to truth. He's going to start showing you what your next step is and what your next step is after that. And you're going to go on a journey of becoming a follower of Jesus. But it begins with this moment. It all begins with this simple prayer of saying, Father, I need you and I surrender my life to you. I make you my Lord and Savior. So if you're making that decision, as I pray this prayer, just pray it together with me. And this is how we'll close our time together. Father, 
We thank you. If this message has blessed your life, I want to encourage you to share this message with others or go online to our website and consider making a donation so that we can continue bringing you content just like today's message. God bless you.